Screenless. Making a soundtrack. Opening scene and action. Dan, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm sorry, Gareth, I'm just fixing the mixing desk here. It's uh, got a problem on channel two, but I think I fixed it now. Okay. Um, and right. I've fixed that synth. That was that was going too wobbly, but I've fixed that now. That's all okay. right. Um, there's the window latch I've got to do next, and then I'm going to move on to the toaster. But Dan, we, we've, we've got to do the podcast. Yeah, but it's all about fixing. It's a fixer this week. Ah, right. So I'm doing my Okay. okay. Uh, yeah, not... not that kind of fixing, Dan. Oh, is this another edit it out moment? It is. <laughs> okay. One second. Okay, so we're clear now. Yeah, okay, so I've got it. Excellent, we can proceed. Welcome, welcome to Making a Soundtrack, everyone. This week we are talking about The Fixer. So, Dan, it's not that kind of fixing. What kind of fixing is it? It's the booking of the studio and the booking of the musicians. Ah. We are down one person, though. Oh, yeah, now. Where is Tristan? The TARDIS is still being fixed. Time circuits can be really tricky to fix. Uh, and obviously, <sighs> quick fit are not uh, not usually <laughs> up on fixing uh, stuff. Gallifreyan. So I believe he's just coming back from holiday. I think he's been on the Isle of Wight. Oh, how lovely. On a staycation. Yeah, I think he's coming back on the ferry. <laughs> Is that him now? Hey guys, how you doing? Oh. Hello, Tristan. Hey, Feeling a little bit, uh, a little bit sick actually, a bit seasick. Oh, bit of a choppy crossing. Not got your sea legs. I'll try my best not to throw up. That would be appreciated. Thank you. So, Tristan, this week we're talking about the fixer. So, as Dan said, basically booking the studio, booking the musicians. It's a little bit more nuanced than that, isn't it? You have to know a lot about what you can and can't do with union rules, particularly in this country, maybe not so much in European countries. And you have to know the player's strengths. There's no point booking an incredible classical musician on a jazz score. You have to know all your players' strengths and weaknesses and what they really specialise in and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are lots of players that play on the books of these fixers. So there's a lot to keep track of. So it's it's not just going through your A to Z of musicians and picking P for piano. It's all about that player and what that player's style is and matching that to the needs of the composer. Exactly. So Tristan, you've been chatting with the fixer for this week's episode. Who is that fixer and can you tell us something about him? So this week's guest is the mighty George Stretsov. I've actually worked with George a few times before, uh, one of which was on a feature film called Inmate Zero with one of my friends who's a composer, Simon Porter, brilliant composer. George has been involved in a just an array of really high-profile jobs. You know, to name a few, His Dark Materials, Solo, a Star Wars Story... Assassin's Creed, Odyssey. He's even done Midsummer Murders, which is obviously a huge show over here. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that he's been involved in a lot of high-profile jobs. That's fantastic. He's not UK-based, is he? He's over in Bulgaria. Yes, Bulgaria. So they obviously have a different way of doing things. There's fewer restrictions in Bulgaria as to what you can record. You can't record overdubs in the same session in this country, for instance. That has to be in a different session, but you can, for instance, do overdubs in Bulgaria. Now, this brings me on to 
some of the things that are mentioned in the interview. Maybe you and Dan can enlighten everybody. George mentions in the interview about dream theatre. Dan will know this one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, dream theatre are a prog rock band and they're all extremely good musicians and they all play to a very, very high level. Yes, time signatures change every other bar and... (laughs) Yeah, it's like Aphex Twin does heavy metal. (laughs) Then, Tristan, you mentioned about overdubs. What are overdubs? Overdubs are laid over separately to the main recording. So, for instance, you could have a pass of long strings, so long legato held notes. And then often it's the case that the composer wants to overdub, which basically means overlay short strings, scarto strings, spigato strings, things like that which wouldn't be possible without a lot of splitting up of the string parts, meaning the resulting sound would be much smaller and thinner. So the way to get around that is to do the whole string section playing the long notes and then overdub the short notes, which also gives you a lot more control because it means you can sort of bury the shorts away in the background or bring them much closer to the front of the mix. Then pre-production and post-production. I think in this case, the pre-production stuff is getting all of the sessions ready. When you're recording an orchestra... Nowadays, it's very common for there to be other elements, non-orchestral elements. So there will be track lay, which is pre-recorded parts that the orchestra has to play to. Those have to be in the Pro Tools session and they have to be in time. As is mentioned many, many times in this series, time is money. And when you're at the recording session, you don't want to be going, oh, hang on a minute, that's in the wrong place trying to figure out problems like that you just don't want them so i think pre-production in this case is sorting those type of things out and then post-production tends to be the mix everything that happens once it's all been recorded yeah Yeah. you and george talked about the musicians union and the equivalent over in bulgaria what is the musicians union i mean it's just basically a union that sort of protects musicians whether that be composers songwriters live performances live gigs it's a sort of platform that these people can connect with for sort of increased safety so for instance uh, you know insurance there might be legal advice that musicians can get their hands on all that sort of thing it's basically there to look after the musician just like any other union brilliant and as usual if you go to makingasoundtrack.com each episode has a glossary button by it so if you want to catch up with all these terms you can go there and find out cool So all that remains, Dan, Mm -hmm. is your fascinating facts about George. Ah, yes. In our new section. So for the fourth time, Fandango. George began his musical career early, starting when he was only 15 years old. His company, Fall for Music, has become one of the go-tos in Eastern Europe for orchestral recording. He studied orchestration with Alexander Tekliev, one of Bulgaria's most renowned composers. At the age of eight, he invented a new type of mini banana, called Manana, or Pocket Banana. George is also a sample library developer. Strezov sampling is highly regarded amongst professional composers. His favourite biscuit is the humble rich tea. He's a keen jouster and owns upwards of 50 pet owls, which he is trained to hoot in equal temperament. Right, shall we go behind the scenes to listen to George and Tristan? Yes, let's do it. George, thanks for joining us today. We're really looking forward to chatting to you about the role of an orchestral fixer. Let's dive right in. In an orchestral soundtrack, would you be able to run us through the role of a fixer? The job of a fixer is a very um, 
I would say a very stressful one because it really depends. The situation is very different from soundtrack to soundtrack. Sometimes the composer has uh, time and, you know, the um, uh, convenience of having enough time to prep the scores, to orchestrate, and then to um, book a session with like a month uh, in advance or something like this. But most of the time uh, we are dealing with people who are running behind schedule. There is a certain unknowns in the whole process. So for instance, the ensemble size is not uh, entirely, you know, um, fixed in terms of number of players, uh, in, in terms of instrumentation, the score gets a lot of changes. Obviously, they have sometimes they, they do have some picture cuts. We were doing a session with uh, Rupert Gregson Williams at the beginning of, of the year, which I was also orchestrating. And I know that they were having a lot of picture edits. So even like a couple of days before the session, there was certain, you know, questions about the ensemble size, the number of players. So, and and as you can probably imagine, uh, we as fixers, because we are like a team here in, in, in Bulgaria, we like to work with the best possible musicians, but often when you, um, when you don't have enough time to ask people, you know, to come in to, to do a, to do a gig, to play on, on, on a recording, then you might be forced to getting players that are not as good as, as, as the ones that you've already thought of. Uh, so that's that's the most problematic thing because uh, music is very subjective and the fixer needs to think about the composer, uh, the, the production house or you know whoever's uh, handling the whole financial situation. And, and also about the musicians themselves, whether this... Uh, will be comfortable for them, whether it will be too hard for them, whether they need some time to practice. Because often we're uh, they're doing like sight reading and sometimes the music is like very complicated. Uh, just just an example. Next week we are having a session that needs like a drum drum player to record before the orchestra. And the composer said, oh, it's it's very easy. Uh, you know, it's very, very easy. And, and then we get a demo and, and the demo is, uh, it's basically like dream theater for drums, you know, <laughs> all the solos and everything. So, uh, so the, the role is, uh, we, 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 tr we have to be like the, the perfect balance between the composer and, and their team and the production house and also the musicians to find like a balance. And, and also to make things even more complicated, we need to throw in the, the actual studio, uh, because in our case, we, as fixers, we, we basically do everything. Uh, it's, it's like a package, package deal. So we communicate with the studio, with video camera crews, if, if they're needed and with the musicians, of course. And who do you communicate with throughout the process? And at what point do you personally get involved or a, a member of your team? Again, it's, uh, it depends from project from uh, to project. So, for instance, on large stuff that we've done, like I would say corporate stuff, uh, usually we get introduced by the composer, and then the production house takes takes over from there, based on quotes, financials, and so forth. Like, uh, for instance, when we did solo a Star Wars story, 
with John Powell. Basically, John just introduced us to the vice president of post-production for Lucasfilm. And everything else was taken from there. Obviously, the lower we get on the like food chain, if if I can say this, um, uh, <laughs> basically the composer gets the package deal. So he becomes not only the composer but also the uh, executive producer of the music. So we communicate with the yeah. with the composer directly. But again, it depends. With big game studios, it's the same. We usually uh, speak to whoever's in charge, like an audio director or uh, like a executive producer on the game soundtrack. So you wouldn't have any communication with the, the orchestrator? Is it, is it the composer that sort of decides the lineup? Uh, very specific to uh, to the project. So sometimes we get uh, the orchestrator who's, you know, speaking to all the details and all the instrumentation and, and everything that's uh, included. Um, sometimes we, we also speak to the composer's assistant and, and manager, sometimes just the composer themselves. So honestly, I would prefer to speak to someone who has enough knowledge and ideas about what's going on about the project. Because, for instance, if you speak to like an executive in the corporate world, and then you ask, for instance, well, how, mu- how many five-string contrabasses would you, would you need? Or um, what sorts of mutes do you want for the for the brass? And then they have no idea, so they basically need to go into the composer or to, to the orchestrator, and this kind of slows down the whole process. So personally, I prefer to speak to the composer and their orchestrator. Often it's uh, okay. like the the two of them or the three of them, depending on how big the team is. And how do you get to know the musicians? How important is it to have that relationship with them? Very. Now, I have to say that we at 4 for music uh, we are a couple of people doing this and everyone has their spot in, in the process. So I'm nowadays I'm mostly, you know, in charge of orchestration, copying, arranging, editing, you know, the, the post-production and the pre-production in a way. And for instance, uh, two of the other guys like George, there's another George, and also Bobby. George is a conductor and choir singer. He also conducts uh, the choir, the biggest like cathedral uh, here in, in Bulgaria. And also Bobby is a cellist. So both of them are like on a weekly basis within different orchestras. And, and they know all the players. They know what their strengths are, wh- what their weaknesses are. And very often, it's also not about getting like the best musician. It's about getting the best person for the job. I'll give you one example. There is a fantastic cello player in our country, but he doesn't, uh, he's not a good team player, but he's like the like a brilliant soloist. Uh, but he, he yeah. can't lead the group well enough there's there are always like issues during the session and you don't want this kind of a toxic environment especially if you're uh, working on a very in a very st- stressful you know atmosphere because the the job of the fixer is it's very stressful and you need to know not only the the skills of the musician but also their their personality to make sure that everything runs smoothly so it's very important that uh, you know the musicians. Okay. There are a number of fees and costs associated with, with hiring musicians for a session. How do you go about working out the budget? 
first off, we have a fixed contracting fee, which is 10%. Rarely, we, we do a higher rate, but that's like depending on how stressful, th- like for instance, we want 80 people overnight. Uh, so we basically have a couple of hours to uh, to get all the all the players. So obviously the the contracting fee goes up. Apart from that, everything is fixed. We have fixed fees for the concert master, for for all the principals, for all the tutti players, and for all the like soloists. And by soloists, I mean, for instance, alto flute, tuba, contrabassoon. You know those weird instruments that that are usually like one of a kind in a in an in orchestra. You yeah. have like one one contrabassoon. You can have two bassoons but one contrabassoon. <clears throat> so these are pretty much fixed. The studio is also uh with a fixed fee. There's always a necessity of setup time. In our case we have the luxury of having our own studio. So most of the time, unless the setup is very complicated with a lot of like special requests, uh, we just charge one hour of setup fee for the entire session. And, and often if we do, let's say four, four sessions back to back, we just do one setup hour for the entire, uh, session time. Uh, but again, as I say, <clears throat> this is like a luxury, uh, because we have our own stage. If you go anywhere else, you also need to uh, think about uh, setup time, and the setup time needs to be much, much more. Uh, I would say at least three hours. So yeah, this is uh, as I said. In in our case, we have this software, so we just put in the number of players, uh, the number of hours, and it does the calculation very, very quick. So are the players paid on a a kind of per hour basis is that how that works yeah that's right and in our case again this is very different from from orchestra to orchestra from contractor to contractor uh in our case we charge only for the time that's being played so every one hour we do like 15 minutes break so this means that you pay for three hours of recording and the musicians play three hours and they they have like 30 minutes separately of break time there are other orchestras that do different versions of this you know of doing the breaks uh some do like 50 minutes of playing and 10 minutes of break so at the end a three-hour session is 150 minutes so you you lose some time basically 30 minutes of, of recording time Others do an hour and a half, then they do 15 minutes break, and then they do uh, another an hour and a half. <clears throat> I was recording in, in Teldex this year in, in May, so they're doing this. They, they have a longer recording time, then they, they do a kind of a bigger break, uh, and then they uh, continue. Uh, and I believe they're also charged, they charge by the session. That's, I'm not entirely sure about this. But in our case, you pay for 60 minutes of recording time, you get 60 minutes of recording time. Yeah, I think that's a good way of doing it because over here, there are obviously breaks included within that price. So, you know, if you're booking a three-hour session, you're only getting two hours 45, technically. Sure. Um, although 15 minutes doesn't sound like a long time, it can, uh, <laughs> you know, it is a big difference in the recording is. world, it as is. as you know. So, you know, those sorts of things are, are really important. And I think it's amazing that you're treating your clients 
really well by making sure they get the get exactly what they pay for. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, a good example there. <laughs> and also, we, uh, as I said, because we're constantly juggling be- between you know making the clients happy and making the musicians happy. And honestly, ten minutes, for instance, that's not enough time for someone to, you know, to take to take a rest. Because uh, there's, for, for instance, there are some people that that are smoking. So if you want to mm. like uh, uh, smoke and then like have a cigarette and then make yourself like a cup of coffee, and go to go to go to the loo or something, there's not enough time to do all of these in, within ten minutes. So yeah, yeah, fifteen minutes is kind of optimal, and they do get some, you know, a bit of take, taking their mind off the music and then going back in. So I think this makes happy. Uh, both the, the 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 clients and also the musicians happy. Yeah, I, th- I think that's quite interesting because it is it's recording sessions are, are quite a stressful environment, aren't they? And and staring at sheet music for a long time, you know, at that level of concentration, I think it's super important to have the right amount of break time. And <laughs> although that sounds childish in a way, it's it's imperative to getting a, a good performance out of the players. You want to treat them as well as possible so that they deliver the maximum performance. That's right. Which kind of leads nicely onto the next question, which is in the UK, we have the Musicians Union. What rules do you have to adhere to in Bulgaria to ensure that everyone is happy for the mm. session, such as, as breaks and fees? And obviously we've, we've already spoken about breaks, but are there any kind of other hidden things we haven't spoken about that are kind of rules that you have to adhere to? Having the, like the, a union is actually a great thing in a way. Obviously... I know that people in, for instance, Los Angeles are having some sort of issues with that, uh, depending on which side of the <laughs> of the barrier you're you're at. But unfortunately for us, mm. we don't yeah. have anything like this in our country. I mean, we we do have some sort of unions, but actually nothing about the musicians and their well-being and because we had the like the regime change in 1989. And then democracy came in with, yeah, democracy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, that's the sad story of our country. But, uh, yeah, basically democracy came in and, um, there were quite some con- contractors that were charging, for instance, like in euro or in USD and they were paying, uh, musicians in Bulgarian level. So the, the the currency difference is is pretty big, and then for instance in '97 there was like this huge economic crisis in our country, so the salary basically became like monthly salary became like two dollars. So imagine how crazy this is. So the contractors kept getting three hundred like dollars or some sort of amount like this per hour. For, for for an orchestra, but they were paying the previous equivalent in Bulgarian level, which was now pretty low. So uh, most of the all the contractors were always, you know, trying to take advantage from their um, you know relationship with the musicians, and there was no union to actually protect them. So when we started contracting, there was one thing that there were a couple of things that we really wanted to set up as a, as a company. So the first thing is monthly payments. Every musician gets paid at the beginning of the next month for all the sessions they're involved with 
in the previous one. That's the first thing. The second thing is all those payments are accounted for. So they get like a pension fund, medical insurance, everything basically, which was was not the case before that. So most of the time they were getting cash. You know, I was uh, actually being present. I was singing when I was a student at a session and, and the contractor for the for the choir, they just, after the session in the lobby of the Bulgarian National Radio Studio One, they just opened like a bag with, with cash and they started giving out to, to people, which is that that's absolutely ridiculous. You know, that's that's oh, wow. the yeah, that's the cliche of like Eastern Europe and and doing business uh, business in Eastern <laughs> Europe, unfortunately. Uh, so in a way, we tried to create some sort of a union without obviously naming this union, but we have very strict rules in the company. So for instance, uh, musicians, unless it's a part of a shared session, you can't get the musicians for less than two hours. So the minimum amount of time they, they can yeah. come in is two hours, which is in a way generous because usually yeah. it's like three hours around the world. So um, that's the first thing. The other one I, I said already so that they're like bank wires with all, all this um, pension and health insurance. They get at the end of the month, they get like some sort of an accounting email with the number of hours they've been played at. So they, they can also check against, you know, uh, what they have in their, I don't know, schedule or something. Uh, because sometimes we do make mistakes, uh, especially when you're uh, talking about like four, five hundred, six hundred people sometimes and um, mistakes can be made. So the, the easiest way is you know, hey guys, here's here's the list. Please let us know if there's any sort of mistakes, uh, and we'll we'll fix this. So, uh, and the other one is to make sure that they also have a nice environment to work with. I already mentioned that we try to uh, get good musicians, good team players, and people that are genuinely comfortable playing together. Because otherwise, you know, the the atmosphere kind of gets weird in a way. We have this um, company custom. So every every session we take out a box of chocolates. We have this brand called Merci. So like, it's a thank you. And yeah, we also uh, try to, you know, every year we, we do some gifts for them, like branded pencils, uh, cups, yeah, and mugs and so forth. So that's the problem that we're actually faced uh, faced up against. The government doesn't help, so we need to do some sort of a like a private corporate government yeah. in a way. Oh, yeah, sorry. And, and also another thing that I failed to mention is, as I said, we have a very strict fees about principal, about concertmaster, about tutti players, which means that we don't get to be leveraged by musicians. Like, for instance, we have a top woodwind soloist uh, who would say, ah, you know what, uh, I'll actually come for this amount of money. That's my fee. And we, we don't do this because we also have a great concertmaster and he'll come for another, you know, for lesser amount of money, which is not fair for everyone. So we have a some sort of a, a hierarchy. So we have the fee yeah. for the for the conductor, fee for the session producer who's listening in the control room. Then we have the fee for the concert master, principals, soloists, and so forth. 
And the only exceptions are when we have, uh, which is, uh, this is the only thing that's not fixed. That's if we do a session with uh, like a concert. For instance, we did um, last month, we did a concert piece like a suite for a solo guitar, classical guitar and string orchestra. In this case, we, we cannot do a fixed fee without uh, looking at the scores and actually getting a quote from the from the uh, musician who would perform this at home, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the only difference. That's absolutely fascinating. And I think a lot of fixers could really learn from that and keeping musicians happy. And it's a big deal when you're working with people all the time to make sure everyone's happy. So that's absolutely fantastic. What's your role on the day of the recording session? It depends on how I'm connected to the to the project. As I said, we have a big team in a way, so everyone has their own responsibilities. So, for instance, if I'm not involved with the project, with the communication uh, with the project at the earlier stages, I'm most of the time I'm just like having a coffee <laughs> or something like that. Uh, unless, <laughs> uh, of course, un unless I'm conducting uh, or producing the session. If I've been involved with that, I would rather, you know, either conduct or listening uh, in the control room. And during the day, I'm uh, also like, I would say, yeah, supervising, that, that, that's a dumb word for, for what I'm about to say, but uh, making sure that all the parts and scores are printed in the, in the order of the recording session that was given to us by either the composer or the orchestrator uh, or the assistant. And uh, to make sure that all the parts are printed out Everything has been set on the uh, note stands. Then we usually, while the engineering team, they're setting up the microphones and everything, we all, always have the produce operator uh, in the control room. So the producer goes in through the sessions. This is, this is something that we like to do because it's very, very expensive. And time does start running much faster if you have if you're having like issue with uh, prelays or with the produce uh, files and yeah yeah so my role would be if I'm connected to the project would be to to go in before the prior to the session go through the, all the produce files make sure that that the scores the bar numbers of the scores and um, you know the click track and everything that they are in, in sync uh, there are no like hidden errors or like issues that might come up with. Which uh, it's a kind of a problematic thing. I would say it's very important that we do it. It's very hard to do it because if you're having sessions every day, sometimes you, you just don't have the physical time to go through all the material. But this actually could save a lot of time, nerves, <laughs> um, you know, money and, you know, a lot of other uh, stuff to the, to the composer and, and the other ones uh, that are involved in the project. So that, that would be my role. If I'm conducting, if, if I'm like being, uh, in this case, a performer, if I'm conducting, I would just make myself a nice cup of coffee and go through the scores once, once more, get some ideas about, uh, you know, depending on how it's orchestrated, how many details you have. Uh, if there aren't any, then I would probably think about some suggestions that I would give to to make sure that the music um, becomes better that's interesting that you mention your work as a conductor because you're also known for your work as a an orchestrator conductor composer how did you become a fixer 
Ah, uh, that's a nice question. Well, <laughs> as you know, I'm I'm constantly jugg- juggling be- uh, between this composing and you know uh, pr- producing sample libraries and doing all sorts of weird stuff. Some would say that I'm trying to get away f- from composing, but I'm actually doing all those things so that I can keep on having like composing be my you know main job that I do and also the my biggest passion my problem is that I live I live in a country that has many benefits for instance our corporate tax at the end of the year is 10% which is great mm. but also uh, there are certain limitations uh like for instance um most of the for instance tv shows that are produced locally they're using library music even though they're like custom with there was just a couple of ex- um, exceptions i was lucky enough to do one of them and it it was like a period drama like the bulgarian downton abbey so that's why i was um you know kind of lucky to do the um to do this project but apart from that if i am to be like a composer full time i need to do probably a lot of advertising gigs which i'm i'm not a fan of maybe the you know occasional game soundtrack once every 5 years or so <laughs> so uh i had to find something that would keep food on the table giving me enough flexibility while i'm uh doing my own personal work as a composer because often i get like last year at the end of uh, of last year i i had a project with that actually i was lucky enough to do this again uh like a period drama love drama story i i really enjoyed working on that on that movie i even got like seven awards uh from international wow. film festivals yeah so it, it, for me that was like um huge inspiration and when the director uh, came in that was his actually f- first like de- debut feature the reference that we are uh talking about was james horner and uh wolf totem uh, i believe was the f- first reference and if we're speaking about james horner i would immediately think about the whole orchestra being in the same room which obviously is kind of very expensive and then when you need to add in you know the the post production and everything it becomes quite a bit so i had approximately 25000 euro to do the whole score which is uh, a little bit over 60 minutes and to record it so it's a package deal you 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 can imagine that that's way too low so being like the soundtrack addict that i am um i really wanted to make this very special so at the end i i believe that i got about 200 euro just for me at the end of the process oh yeah so but i'm i'm you know i'm not complaining i mean as i said living in my country has some sort of benefits probably i'll think of more than one uh <laughs> yeah but having the contracting company also my sampling projects this gives me enough freedom to focus on 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 projects that i i like and doing them the way i want them to be done oh fantastic thank you so much george it's been a real pleasure having someone as talented and experienced as yourself and uh 
Thank I'm you. just finding every day on this podcast is a school day. So thanks so much <laughs> for sharing your insight. Thanks so much. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. I agree with Tristan there when he said every episode's a school day. Yeah. An amazing interview there with George. Lots of insights into what goes on in an orchestral session and all of the work that goes on behind the scenes to make sure that the session runs as well as it can do, mm. thus not costing an arm and a leg for the production. It's interesting when I was saying before about it's a bit more nuanced than book the orchestra, book the studio. Yeah. He started out by saying that it's really stressful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. no no dressing it up. Lots of logistics, lots of moving parts, lots of really important things to think about. But I thought that was really interesting that he didn't dress up the fact that it, it's a really difficult job. Well, when you've got anything above one other person to organise, it can get quite stressful. So mm. when you've got 50, 60 people plus that you're trying to organise all to be all singing from the same hymn sheet, making sure they're turning up on time, make sure they know what they're doing, making sure they're the right person for the job. Obviously, you mentioned that as well. Yeah, not always about getting the best musician. No. That was that was really interesting. And something you mentioned, Tristan, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about the way George is running his business is that he, he owns the studio as well. It's very rare for somebody to have that sort of setup in the UK because we like a fixer running heavy road <laughs> yeah and then sort of knowing exactly what the studio's availability is obviously he knows that because he owns it that must make life a lot easier when coming to book the studio and arranging sessions self-contained thing isn't it although he said it's stressful you're taking some of the stress out of having to find a specific studio i know some mm. film scores that they're booked in but they can't get all of the people in so they do sort of mm. the strings and the horns in one studio and then they'll do the percussion mm. yeah. in another studio and this massive juggling act of getting all of those people in the right place at the right time because it could be very easy to accidentally just say that they're all at Abbey Road when actually, no, they're not. Yeah. Two of the sessions are at Abbey Road, but the third one's at Air or... Exactly. All the other stresses <laughs> of juggling all those people are still there. And the short notice. Yeah, the short notice. Yeah. You know, as composers, we complain about the short notice of things, mm. but they're really on the sharp end of the short notice of things because if we've got really short notice, then they've got even less notice. Yeah. There's a constant adjustment of pricing going on doing that job because you quote one thing and inevitably things change the composer says oh we need a bass clarinet now suddenly you've got to sort that out and adjust the price accordingly mm. suddenly you've gone into overtime perhaps and then you've got to figure mm. out on the spot the composer wants to know how much is this going to cost and you can't say well i don't know <laughs> you've got to you've yeah. got to come up with a fee literally within minutes and say right okay well this is going to cost x amount can we do it and then you know. yeah and he also mentioned that they don't have to do the minimum of two hours when it comes to running over time they're a little more flexible which is probably why a lot of productions mm. do go to bulgaria exactly there's far more flexibility with bulgaria and european orchestras and i would say the uk yeah. is losing work to europe for that reason obviously the musicians union have put things in place to protect the players so that's there to protect the players but 
it could be at the cost of more work being over here. But yeah. that's not the only issue. The other thing is obviously the cost. And yes. it is more expensive yes. over here than it is to go somewhere within Eastern Europe and record. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. He was talking about creating his own kind of corporate union where the fees that he was listing about pensions and, and yes. things like that all being included. Mm. That seems like a really interesting and, and really good way to go about things. Yeah, it's a fantastic idea. And I wish UK orchestras would follow suit I don't know how that would work but I think having a pension plan in there and protection is the way to go really I think the musicians mm. if they feel like they're being looked after I don't know maybe maybe this is just me living in a, a dream world but maybe they'll play better because <laughs> they'll have less <laughs> less stress I don't know George did allude to that happy musicians equals better music mm. I think that goes with everything it is a creative thing they're looking at the music and they're making decisions upon that music they're not just reading it as is they're mm. adding emotion and feeling where it needs to be so they are being creative. Yeah. To be in a creative space and to work the best, you need to be in the right mood to do it. Yeah. yeah. But that's not to say, uh, uh, you know, we're in danger of being a bit down on the UK studio. No, no, definitely not. Oh, up. no, 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 not the, at all. The other guests we've spoken to are all about that, making sure that the musicians are happy and in the right kind of state of mind to really get the best out of the yeah. music. Yeah, and as I said, the MU have put these rules into place to make sure that mm. that is the case. It just so happens that because of the way that film and tv is done it's slightly prohibitive to mm. certain work well it means on the lower budget productions it basically rules london out yeah because the client looks at the two quotes and obviously one is significantly cheaper than the other you know london does lose out in that respect but there is an argument to be had as to whether if the fees were slightly lower or if there was more flexibility whether more work would be retained in this country but that's a debate for another day perhaps well it's a can of worms about the cost of studio hire yeah. and, and all that yeah. isn't it mm. but what an amazing interview what a lovely chap yeah, yeah totally cool dude really nice guy so we've got the music all the way up to the studio session the fixer has booked the orchestra, has booked the studio time. Then comes the conductor. So the conductor has to come in and do his or her part. So that'll be next time. So Dan, is uh, is that a wrap? That's a wrap. That's a wrap. How do you find us? Makingasoundtrack.com will tell you all you need to know, links to the podcast, social media links, and there's loads of information about us and the series. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would make our day if you could give us a positive rating or review. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit that share button and recommend it to someone. There we go. So that's it for this week. Tristan, as always, thank you ever so much for your expertise and assistance. Thanks, guys. I will see you next time. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. That's a wrap. Oh.